Welcome to The Kitchen Table. I am your host, Justin White. I am sitting here with the talent, Josh Winner. We are your amateur podcasters for this episode. Welcome. It's been a while. Seems like I said that last time, but this time it truly has been a while. It's been since January 26. Our last episode was our interview with retired Lieutenant Jose Garcia. That's right. That was the last one. And I think we've said that a couple times. It's been a while. Um, you know, but we were on a really good streak, I think, last year. You know, we just, they were, we had them lined up, um, episodes lined up, we had people lined up, and then 2022 came around. And everything ground to a halt, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. We're not, we're not any busier. I was, um, we're still busy. Yeah, I was uh, trying to. I was trying to think about that the other day too. I'm like, what what has happened this year? You know, but I mean, we had a few different ones that we were working on getting lined up, and then we had a couple uh, kind of it's wrinkles true. with with getting those going. Yeah, and we've uh, got some coming out that we had to reschedule. So we had some things in in March and April that we had to reschedule. Uh, we've rescheduled a couple of them. We've got some new ones. Um, which ones are those? Um, we had one with. Anthony Castro. Oh yes. Okay. We had to reschedule. Yep. And that's the one that got rescheduled. So stay tuned for that. Yep. Um, we had a couple firefighters. I, don't, I won't say their names yet because we haven't rescheduled them. Mm-hmm. But we hope to get them in here shortly. Um, and we're working some on some other things. We're starting. Uh, we're trying to bring in some outside guests. That's what this episode is. We've got a couple folks coming in from the outside that are not affiliated with the fire service so it, it was an interesting conversation not affiliated with the fire service but it was really cool to see the parallels between their world and our world in my perspective you yeah know. Um, the two folks we have is uh, a guy named Topher Scott and a guy named Jeff Lavecchio um, both hockey players uh, as you all know um, I'm a big hockey fan uh, my son plays hockey, so we're kind of, you know, entrenched in it now as a family um, because of the level he's playing at. He's he's all in and, and trying to, to, you know, get get to his dream of playing Division One hockey. Um, and we just do the best we can to support her. But to do that, I'm not a, a hockey guy. Like I I watched the game, but I didn't didn't grow up playing, so I don't know the system, so to speak. Um, so I listen to their ho- podcasts. Um, called the Hockey Think Tank um, that you can get on all the major platforms if you're a hockey family out there. And it's great for uh, parents, coaches, and players to go and, and, and kind of learn the system and learn what youth hockey is all about. And that's kind of what they focus on is, you know, youth and junior hockey rather than professional hockey. Um, so that's how I found them. But they talk a lot about leadership um, from the perspective of hockey. And we thought it'd be interesting for them to come in talk a little bit about leadership um, and when we were done yesterday it was interesting because Josh and I had a conversation about the parallels of leadership um, even though the professions are vastly different as far as the fire service and, and being a, a, a hockey player 
but the lessons of leadership were nearly the same. Yeah, I, I'll back up just a little bit and say I was a little nervous going into this one, maybe a little intimidated, not sure what the right word would be, but just because I have no background in hockey, right? I don't watch hockey. I'm not affiliated with hockey. Um, I can't even see the puck move across the ice. You know, I've tried to watch it before, and I'm like, I can't follow the puck. I can't watch this. Um, you know, but um, well, actually I do have one affiliation with hockey. So just so you know, more than once in my life since I've lived in Colorado, I have been mistaken for Joe Sackick. Apparently, he's a big deal. So kind of yeah kinda for hockey so, fans, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I would just I didn't like when I the first time it happened. Um, I didn't really. Know. I'm like okay, no, my name's not Joe. And the guy's like, oh my god, I thought you were Joe Sackick. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what that means. I'm like new to Colorado, but. Thank you, I guess. Yeah, congratulations. So, so apparently, I mean, I guess I do. I am affiliated with hockey in that in that sense. But going into this, I didn't wasn't sure how the conversation was going to go because I'm like, well, I can't really add a lot of value to it. But that's what really caught me in this was we were able to have this conversation about leadership and about people and um, you know about trust and respect and vulnerability and all these things that we value you know within the fire service and to be able to see that in another industry to see that in a hockey world and go you know wow it's it's one it's it to me it's kind of validating that we're we're on the right track because you know this whole leadership thing is about people right and so it almost doesn't matter if you know we're sitting in a fire station or a hockey rink or at a business table it's like the the foundation the concepts are still the same yeah you know i think I think we work better in teams as as people mm-hmm. you know some people might work better individually but usually we put it together in teams and um, we're very social animals so we like to be in groups and we, we recognize that um, we survive better in teams so our society is is built around teams and not individuals um, so there's a parallel there um, you know, I was, I was thinking the structure of the fire service and, and thinking of the structure of a, of a hockey organization and, and how we might fit into that. And I was thinking, you know, the deputy chiefs are are really the general managers of, you know, the hockey organization. The, the parallel would be the deputy chiefs in our organization and that they're kind of, they, they set the tone, they create um, the team, you know, they create the organization around the team um, and then the coaches were I, I thought were the battalion chiefs you know they're the ones that set the culture they set the set the expectations and hold you know the people accountable um, the company officers were the leadership player to player leadership uh, so the team captains and the assistant captains and so they're really holding each other accountable holding themselves accountable within the team to reach you know to to obtain uh, the expectations of the, of the organization and, and achieve the culture of the organization. And then, of course, the players are the firefighters and the real boots on the ground that are out there really doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and in, in a sports world, those are the people that are the most highly respected. And um, quite frankly, in, in my world, in the training world, those are the folks that I most highly respect as well. Because they're out there doing it, they're the end users of all the things that we do here. 
you know, we say that, you know, we support those that support the community. Um, and in doing so, we mean that. Like, that's, if we, we need to provide the tools so they can perform at their best because they're the ones that make a difference in people's lives every single day. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, one more thing I would like to add to that is if you look at how is all of that held together, like what's the glue behind all that? Um, and if you look at us, I think it comes down to really recognizing and understanding what our mission is, what our vision is, and what our values are. Um, I think that oftentimes in the fire service and I'm sure in other companies, you know, the mission statement and the vision statement can be very underutilized and undervalued. But what we talked about yesterday with Topher and Jeff was um, the why, the purpose, that shared common goals, those shared common values. And when you take that whole system that you just explained from, you know, the chief of the department on down to the, you know, to the, the firefighter, it's like when we can really understand what our mission is and what our vision is as an organization, and we're all in line with that, then we start moving into this sense of being a very high performing fire department. Do we underutilize that? I don't I mean, know. Is that, and I don't know either, and I, I don't necessarily know the answer to that question but do we underutilize it and could we market it better because you listen to some of the team things and they talk about culture 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 right and that's you know what the coach is there for is to take the uh, mission and the vision and the values of the organization and create that culture amongst you know the team or the teams um, and we put those things on the wall, and they put those things on the wall, but do they really live it? Or is it just something you walk by every day, you know? It's, that's a really good question. And my gut feeling is yes, but I can argue the other side of that. If you look at, like, what our vision is, our vision that we created, oh, I don't know how many years ago, it's to be internationally recognized as industry leaders who set the highest standards for safeguarding our, safeguarding our community. Got it all out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but... If you look at who we were then and where we are now, we are truly internationally recognized as industry leaders, mm-hmm. you know. And so I say that I, 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 and on, on one, you know, in one breath I'm going, we're underutilizing it. And then in the other breath I go, but we're living up to that. So it's, it's a hard one for me to answer. Um, I think from a leadership perspective, I think that we as organizational leaders um, – could do more. I think that we could really, um, you know, identify, okay, as a leader, this is my purpose. Now, when I am together with my team, this is our team's purpose. And my purpose, our team's purpose are all in line with the purpose of the organization. And then, you know, that is why we go out and we're willing to, you know, shed blood, sweat, and tears together you know, kind of what they said. They said, what did they say? Take a bullet for yeah. you know, the person next to you. It's like, you know what? I'm willing to take a bullet for the person next to me because we're all here for the same thing. Yeah. And I commend you for knowing that because embarrassingly, I, I don't have those memorized. You know, and I'm wondering how many people don't have are like me and don't have those memorized. Um, live within the confines of that because in, in, in general terms, that's how I live. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it just Josh Winter in the training division and people studying for the promotional tests that know that? And how could we maybe market it better and, and show how 
how those the mission, vision, and core values of this organization apply to their everyday life. Yes, and that's and and, and I think that's the biggest thing right there is, you know, to me this isn't about studying for a promotional test, and truly, um, I hope that Chief, you know, Royal Chief DeBay and Chief uh, McConnellog and yourself don't mind me saying this, but I don't. To me, it doesn't matter if somebody in our organization can come up and tell me word for word what our vision statement is. So it's not about like me being able to spit it out word for word, but can somebody in our organization come up to me and go, this is our vision as an organization. I don't know it word for word, but I can tell you what it means in relation to my role in the organization. I would much rather have somebody tell me, you know, how that our vision, you know, how they live that versus them just saying the words. Sure. Does that, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, um, you know, and I've always, and for right or wrong in this case, I don't know if it, it applies and whether it's, um, whether it applies here or not, but I've always said I, I don't memorize things that I can look up in a book, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, so I don't know all the policies verbatim, but I know where to find the answers. Um, to the questions that I have, and that's in our, you know, policies and procedures and, and things like that. And, and maybe that slipped into, you know, one of those things, and maybe inappropriately so. Yeah. You know, maybe I should know that. Maybe I should, as a leader in this organization, be better at reciting that. Um, so when people ask or have questions or we have conflicts, I can, you know, utilize those more and say, hey, and reinforce those and, hey, this is our culture and this is what we've decided as an organization that we want to be. Um, but I haven't done a good job doing that and, and I think I need to do a better job moving forward. Well, the, the one more thing that, that I like to use those for is at the street level, when it's time to make an immediate decision, you know, I don't always have policies and procedures right there in my hand you know and but if I know what our mission is and I know what our vision is if I have a good understanding of that that's my decision making tool that's how I can defend or maybe justify the decisions that I make you know it's like oh man you know what I I, I'm gonna have to take some ownership and say I'll I'll be accountable for not memorizing what that policy said but I made that decision based on what our mission, vision, what the values of this organization are. That's why I made these decisions. Mm-hmm. And you know whether that gives justification to it or not, at least it's a decision-making tool that I have in my back pocket. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's the same as leader's intent, right? The leader's intent is designed to help me make decisions. What is the chief of our organization? What is our ultimate leader? how do they want us to solve this problem? Well, they've given us a leader's intent to help make decisions in those gray areas of our, of our world. Sure. We talked in the podcast about my four things, you know, the, yeah. you know, know your job, do your job, be safe don't, and be nice. Right. Yeah. Um, should that be any different than what the chief says? I mean, do I need to modify that? Um, or is that just what's important to me? And so that's what I always promote and maybe, um, it's not in alignment with what Chief Royal says. Uh, no, I, I think that you're, I believe that you're, you're right, you're right in what you're doing. Um, I believe that it is our job as promoted leaders to interpret, you know, what our, 
you know, what our chief wants. So, and this kind of comes out to, we talked about this in the podcast, right? It's, you know, I am not being paid to be Chief White. I am not being paid to be Chief Royal. I am being paid to take the direction that you're giving me and then interpret that, you know, the best that I possibly can. So I don't think that, you know, Chief Royal gave us, um, you know, his um, kind of his written expectations. I've got them hanging on my wall in, in my office. But when I look at those and I look at your four, your four fall in line with who we should be as an organization based on the expectations of our chief. Um, so I don't think we should be. I think that that's not being authentic. If we just take what our boss says and, and goes, okay, the boss says this, this is what we're doing. It's like, okay, yeah, that might be right in times when you say this is your task and this is what you need to accomplish today. That's great. But when it comes to leadership, leadership is an interpretation, you know, and sure. so I, I think what I appreciate about, about yours, they're very simple, you know, it's like, and um, it gives me very clear, uh, be safe, know my job, do my job, be nice to people. I'm like, oh man, that is, I can remember that, you know, um, I've been given expectation sheets before that were like four or five pages long and I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to remember all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, I did try to keep it simple and I tried to encompass a lot of different things, you know, but... Um, and as we've always promoted, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, those four things um, allow officers to make decisions because the, yep. they don't have to think back to the four pages and go, well, what, what did he say about this? Yep. You know, you as an officer or a leader in the organization, um, which can include everybody from firefighter up to, to fire chief, when you have to make a decision, um, you think through it does it fit within those four things is it something that i'm supposed to be doing and here's my justification for it yeah and it allows me to have ownership and be accountable um, you know if you tell me exactly what to do and i do those things and something goes wrong to me that kind of falls back on you but if you give me sure. some leniency and say here's four things I want you everything you do I want it to fall within these four things that gives me some ownership it gives me accountability and I've got responsibility in there to you know to kind of stay within those guardrails and that's what I, I didn't promote to side skirt accountability I promoted because I wanted more accountability and within that there's consequences right it's like you pay me good money to do this job so in getting paid that good money, the expectation should be that I give something back to the organization as well. And, and I can do that through accountability. Sure. Good conversation. Uh, the conversation with Topher and Jeff, great as well. So let's head over to uh, the interview with Topher Scott and Jeff Lavecchio uh, from the Hockey Think Tank podcast. Away we go. Welcome. I'd like to take a minute and welcome Topher Scott and Jeff Lavecchio. Thanks for coming into the show today, guys. Why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about your journey and, and how you got to this, this spot today? 
Yeah, thanks for having both Jeff and I on. Um, we're really excited to be on here, and it's it's fun to be on the other side of the interview <laughs> where we don't have to do much preparation or anything like that. And, sure. and uh, we're very appreciative of, of everything that you guys do on the front lines to, to keep us safe and stuff. So very honored to be on the podcast. Yeah, my name is Topher. Um, you know, my journey is, is one that's filled like everybody else's with a hell of a lot of ups and a hell of a lot of downs, <laughs> some bigger than others. <laughs> I grew up right outside of Chicago. Um, and, and hockey's been my life. You know, my, my mom's family played hockey. My dad's family played hockey. They met because my dad and my mom's brother were college hockey teammates and, and things like that. So, um, kind of out of the womb, just with a stick in my hand and skates on my feet and, and, uh, never really looked back. And so, um, that's been a, a big part of my life growing up and, and even he's still here today and, uh, fortunate enough to play, uh, college hockey at Cornell university. Uh, got a four year degree there played a couple years of, of really low level professional hockey and then got right into coaching at the NCAA division one level, uh, was a graduate assistant and got my master's at Miami of Ohio. And then, uh, was able to parlay that into going back to my alma mater Cornell for five years as an assistant coach there, uh, which was a great experience. And then, um, figured out that spending about 200 days on the road recruiting was not something really conducive to what I wanted out of life when my wife and I were getting ready to start a family and have some kids and wanted to be a little bit home more. So got out of that and started this company, the hockey think tank. It's a, it's a hockey development, hockey education company. And so, uh, that's moving and shaking right now. We have our podcast that I do with Vex here. who's going to introduce himself in, in just a second. And, uh, we're just trying to make the game of hockey a little bit better. It's given us so much and, and we just want to give back to it. So we've made a living out of it now. And, and, uh, that's, uh, my, I guess, elevator pitch of how I got to where I am here. So Vex, wow, go ahead, buddy. Well, well done. Yeah. Uh, when he says Vex, he's referring to me, also known as the hot guy on the podcast. Uh, self-proclaimed, <laughs> obviously. Um, the talent. But, the talent of the podcast as well. No, yeah. but uh, um, Tof would be the brains. I'd be the meat. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I grew up in St. Louis. Tof is my cousin. I don't know. Tof, did you mention that or no? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, Tof is my cousin. He's a month and a half older than me, I believe. Um look up to him immensely always did um he was really really good at hockey growing up and um even though we didn't get to see each other a lot we were really close every time you know i got to be around him i just like soaked up like his hockey knowledge and you know always showing me stuff and we always had have fun in the summers and uh you know he grew up to play against each other play, both played juniors both played college hockey um i played a little bit of pro i signed with the bruins out of college uh left after my junior year um three-letter league the nhl uh unfortunately got a uh got a Never bad concussion that summer <laughs> uh and uh missed my whole first year pro um you know thought i was never going to be able to play again luckily came back from it and got to play nine more years pro kind of all over the world um and uh because of my concussions i started a training company off the ice in the gym after my third year and after like my i don't even know probably like 10th concussion at the time um to help local kids train smarter and harder in the gym and every summer I'd come back and I'd only be able to work in the summer with the kids. And it grew year after year after year until my 10th year pro. Um, you know, I, I was at four, concussion 14 and I, so I decided to hang them up. But, you know, I felt like I could keep playing. Probably wasn't the best idea with that many concussions, but I also didn't tell everybody about those. Um, 
to retire and run my company full time. So this will be my, I believe, fifth summer um, doing that full time where I train guys in the NHL, uh, Division One, Division Three, uh, junior hockey, midgets, some bantams. And, uh, and I've also started training hockey players all over the world um, from NHL all-stars that I train online work with me to uh, Division One college teams this summer, um, all online, uh, seven junior teams last year, and just trying to help people train smarter and harder year round so they can get the most out of their bodies. Because if you guys have seen the movie Happy Gilmore, that's kind of how I skated. Um, but I was able to play for a, a good amount of time uh, despite having not a lot of skill. It was a lot of will and a lot of work ethic and doing things the right way off the ice and i try to teach people that now both on my instagram at jeff levecchio throw me a follow blue check mark um <laughs> and uh and with my online training programs and training guys in the gym and just always trying to help people kind of use what i've learned to make themselves better part of that includes the podcast with my cousin Topher here who already introduced himself and we are the hockey think tank podcast elevator pitch done brilliant brilliant Question for you, Tof. Tell me about your name. My How name. How do we get from Christer to Topher? I mean, I because I, you know, I got your email the first time, and I'll admit that I, I didn't know that much about you. So I assumed your first name was Scott, and your last name was Topher. <laughs> and then I read another email, and it said Christopher on there, and I went, "Well, I'm, I'm an idiot." So. Um, tell us about how you got that. Is your dad's name Christopher or how, how did that come about? No. So it's actually like a really crazy story. And first of all, don't feel bad because I would say 25% of the emails that I get back from people who I've never really met before or don't know that well comes back as hello, Scott, and <laughs> not hello, Silver. <laughs> it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so really interesting story. So you learn a lot about your family heritage from your, your parents and grandparents and stuff like that. And so um, my uh, mom's side of the family is uh, Jewish and my great grandmother so her grand, my mom's grandmother um, you know she grew up in Russia at a time where it was not great to be a Jew <laughs> very very a lot of persecution going on um, and so uh, it's it's actually like a like a really crazy story where um, you know the the people who were persecuting the Jews were walking through their town and it was one of those towns where it was very poor and nobody really lived in houses they kind of lived in tents and and the soldiers kind of rounded everybody up and including my great-grandmother's family and they actually had them on a shooting line like a legit shooting line if you can believe that back in the day and yeah. for whatever reason again this is nuts but for whatever reason there were two soldiers there one of the soldiers instead of shooting like all of the Jews that were there he shot the other soldier and helped all of the Jews that were there escape persecution and get them out of the country. Just like some kind of weird change of heart. I don't know if it was in the moment or he planned on it or whatever, but it's like a family tale that got passed down. So my great-grandmother obviously is very proud of her Jewish heritage. And so, so you know, she comes over to America, they have kids, yada, yada, yada. My dad uh, comes from a Catholic family um, and his first son was always going to be named Christopher Ryan Scott. Like that's, that was like always his dream for his first son to be Christopher Ryan Scott. So I was born first grandson, first great grandson on that side. Um, I'm, I'm older than pretty much all of my cousins except for one. And, uh, and so I was born and, and they said, okay, Christopher Ryan Scott is the name. And my great grandmother, like basically like said, I'm disowning this kid if he's named Christopher Ryan Scott. Like I, I fled like all this persecution, you know, I had, I was held at gunpoint 
And if like Christ is in the name of my first great grandson, like I'm not going to be a part of it. So my parents were like, oh, my God, what do we do? You know, because my great grandmother was a boss. Like she was unbelievable. Apparently I met her. I, I think she was like six or seven when I when she passed away. And so long story short, like there was no way that my great grandmother was going to have any part of me with Christopher as the name. So my parents said, okay, why don't we call him Topher? Sounds more Jewish. <laughs> and and uh, that's why I'm Topher. And I've been called it literally my whole life. Like I've never been called Chris except for the first day of school when the, the teacher reads the roster and they're like, Christopher. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And then they're like, okay, what do you want to be called? Topher. Okay, boom. And so yeah. probably, probably a longer story than you were expecting, but no, it's that's kind of great. a that's crazy great. story, right? Yeah, that's no, that's great. Well worthwhile story. That is awesome. Um, I know part of your business, part of the, the adventures that you guys are on or the ventures that you're in is is going out and about and talking about leadership. Um, and we talk a lot about leadership on this podcast because it's something, um, with, <clears throat> excuse me, within the fire service we have to do um, not just on emergency incidents, but daily life you know we spend 24 hours together at a time um so even in the middle of the night when you're up running calls you know to to, to maybe less fortunate things and you know people are in a bad mood and um, you have to be a leader so we talk about leadership a lot tell us a little bit about some of your leadership philosophies and maybe where that's grounded in bex why don't you go first i'd say the the first thing and it's it's funny tof and i pretty much yeah we talk about leadership on almost probably every podcast um, and we were just talking about it recently and one of the most important things is like you need you need to lead yourself first and foremost so whatever your job is whatever your role is whatever your responsibilities are before you look around at anyone else you need to be looking in the mirror and making sure that you're doing your job the best you possibly can so that if every player on your team or every guy on your truck if every guy was always reflecting Am I doing my best? How can I be better? And everyone is doing that. The team is automatically elevated before you even look into like the teamwork aspect of leading others. So just by getting everyone to buy in to being their best self and leading themselves to be their best, that's going to make the biggest impact I think you can possibly make um, with like one thought process for me. That's where I'd start. Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah, I mean that's good. You have to start with yourself. You got to look in first, uh, right? Because uh, you're not really leading if you're if you're not being a good example for everybody else. And if you're not willing to do what you're asking everybody to do, then um, you're not going to be a legitimate leader. I mean, people are going to look at you as kind of kind of a fraud. Like, hey, he's not, you know, they're not they're not willing to. to to take that hill so why should i take that hill type type thing i mean you, you, know, it's you funny. think think about it in hockey like a guy that always blocks a shot you know like everybody loves that guy because he's he's laying his body on the line for everybody else metaphorically and, and literally you know and that's the guy that you want to go to bat for that's the guy you want to go to war with is a guy who's going to do everything he can to do his job because then that's going to make you want to do everything you can to do your job and the next guy and the next guy and the next guy so by everyone focusing on doing their job as best they can first and always reflecting how can I be better um, if you start with that then everything goes up from there and it's a lot easier to come together when everybody's pulling their own rope and everybody feels like they're they're getting out of their teammates what they're also putting into it 
Yeah, we've talked about that here in a little bit different way. Um, We've said very similar things. We've said leadership has nothing to do with you. But at the tail end of that, we said leadership has everything to do with you. And it's, you know, exactly what you're saying. It's, you know, okay, the, the, the leadership, this isn't about me. It's not about my ego. It's not about my pride. It's not about, you know, what I personally want to accomplish. It's all about the mission. It's all about the team. It's all about the organization. Um, but to get there, just like what you said, it's like, well, I got to understand myself first. And I got to know what, what do I stand for and how does that align with what the organization's mission, vision, and values are and how do those things come together? Um, I, um, I, I listened to you. I don't know if this is the podcast you're talking about, but I listened to your five P's and awesome, awesome podcast, awesome talk about um, leadership. Um, and, and I'm going to look down at my notes because I wrote them down because it was so powerful. But when you talk about people perspective, um, uh, perseverance, preparation and presence, you know, and then that's kind of what you're saying right now is kind of starting off with, you know, how does that apply to me first? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Tof, I'll let you take it over because that's uh, Tof created those five P's there. Yeah, I mean, we've been really fortunate with the podcast and, and you know, for, for me, being a, a Division One recruiter, kind of traveling around all the United States and Canada, you get to meet a lot of really good people who are really good leaders. And, and I always try to take something from them and talk to it about them because I, I think it's a, it's a skill that we don't talk about enough. Uh, I think it's something that kids kind of learn when they get into the workforce or something like that you know some of them have been fortunate enough to be a part of groups or teams where they've been thrust into a leadership role and they kind of got to learn about it but i feel like we don't teach kids enough what how important leadership is and how to be leaders and and i think my my thoughts on leadership have changed a lot from being a like a you know a captain of a team when i was a player to then being a coach to now kind of being able to talk to a lot of different people but i i think honestly like one of the most important things for any leader is authenticity and and being themselves i think a lot of us have made the mistake um of of trying to be some kind of a caricature because that's what we feel like the team needs but at the end of the day if you want to lead from the front you have to be yourself and you can't try to be somebody that you're not and like the story that I tell is, you know, when I got into coaching as, as many of us, you know, who are a little bit older, like we were, we were taught and we were led by kind of like authoritarian type leaders. That's kind of how it used to be. Right. Uh, do your job. When I say jump, you say how high and, and that, that was it. Like if you're not doing the job, you're going to get yelled at or you're going to get held accountable. And that's, that's how we learned. And uh, as a parent now, you, you, you start to realize uh, there's a lot of mimicking going on with your kids and you, and you got to watch kind of what you do and what you say, right? So that's kind of how, how we learn how to be leaders. And, and when I tried to do that, when I became a coach, um, that's not really my personality at all. Like I'm much more positive. I'm much more upbeat. I'm much more um, you know, I just try to bring energy and, and like doing that kind of thing is really outside my comfort zone, but I wanted to be a really good leader. So I thought that that's what I needed to do. And, and I found out pretty quickly from the players that I was coaching that I was kind of losing respect a little bit because I was being like, I was being fake. I wasn't being myself. And so after my first year, you know, got some feedback from the players. I always asked for feedback and they were like, coach, like you're a great guy. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> why are you, you know, why are you so hard on us and, and hard? It, like that's, that's a different conversation, but like, why are you being this kind of like 
negative guy around us that's not really who you are and so the next year I, I like changed my entire philosophy on how I coached and you know rather than looking for things that guys were doing wrong and trying to correct them I would look for things that they were doing right and, and try and reinforce that you know rather than get into somebody and and be hard on them by kind of like yelling at them or being stern at them I was you know I'd take them out to lunch the next day or, or after practice I would take them aside and say hey this that or the other thing whatever they needed and I just think you have to be yourself because not only are are you going to be a lot more respected, I think, and you're not going to be like kind of like phony with with your players or your your men or women that you're leading, um, but you're also going to enjoy being a leader a lot more when you're trying so hard to to play a role. Like that's just not fun <laughs> to to do. And so the first thing that I typically talk about when it comes to leadership is like find out who you are. What are your core values? What are your authentic strengths? And then just just do those to the best of your ability every day. And it kind of ties in with what Dex was saying. Then you're leading from the front. You're living your most authentic life. And I think people want to follow people like that rather than somebody that has an angle or trying to get you to do something in, in a weird way. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I think your story about developing as a leader is, is one that every good leader has, right? You start out and you... You try to mimic those who were your mentors before. Like when I got in the fire service, um, I was right at the tail end of the Vietnam era veterans. So a very, very different um, leadership style than what's you know more accepted now. Um, and the generations change and the people change. And um, you know the way we were approached as, as those types of from those types of leaders. Um, wouldn't be acceptable now. You'd be headed straight to HR, right? If you if you talk to to us the way um, some of those coaches when we were kids, or you know some of those leaders when I got into the fire service. But it's not because they were bad people, but that's that's who they were. You're right. You know what I mean. And so um, I respect those people. They they have a lot of credibility with me because of the things they went through, and I take morsels of what they did and how they were and use the good things and and avoid the bad things but then you know look at the the groups i'm leading now and and try to see what their needs are and lead something that's like you more positive and 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 you know it's cliche almost now to say that you're a servant leader but you know able enable them to be the best that they can be the best versions of themselves um and it's a development process over 25, almost 30 years of doing this to, to get to that point. And whether I'm a, I'm a good leader or not, that's for someone else to decide. I don't get to decide that. That's for the people um, who, who, you know, are working with me and who are, quote, unquote, following me. They get to decide whether I'm a good leader. I just do the best I can to remove obstacles so they can be the best they can be. Absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. You know, it's interesting. It sounds like there's so many parallels listening to you guys' podcast and listening to <clears throat> or kind of looking back at who we are as an organization or as an industry. It seems like there's a lot of parallels between, you know, what you guys are doing with coaching and what we're doing, you know, with the fire service. And, you know, one thing that I, I, I kind of want to bring to light is I like to I like to consider myself a student of leadership. Um, I like to read a lot. I like to, you know, kind of see what the new trends are and what's happening out there in the world. 
And what I've noticed lately is a lot of the newer generations that are coming into the fire service and into the work world, they don't want the boss, like what you're that authoritarian style boss leader, what they want as a coach. And now we have this awesome opportunity to talk to you guys that are coming out of a completely different profession. That's very similar though. How do you feel that the idea of boss to coach kind of plays into, you know, your world or like what we're talking about? Well, I mean, I think that you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. Like people want to be better. They want to learn to be better. So if you are a boss, if you think like, I, I would assume that in almost every job, if you're the boss, your job is to get results. Your job is to manage those below you to to achieve a goal whatever that is in whatever industry you're in it's the same across the board so I would look at that as okay if that's my job is to get the best results I can from the team below me how do I do that and so then then you go right into how can I make each person be the best they can possibly be because again then everybody automatically starts at a much higher level and then everybody's functioning everybody has trust that everybody's pulling the rope in the same direction then because they can look around the room or the fire truck or you know around the the business table i don't know clearly i'm not in the business world boardroom <laughs> business table i don't know what that means uh boardroom thank you Tove. uh you know because when it comes down to it a team is a team is a team, whether it's your sales team or your firefighters in the same house riding on the same truck, you're, you have to be the best cohesive unit you can be, which is literally a team. And that's just what we grew up and that's how I made a living for 10 years and TOEF as well, coaching and playing is trying to make the best team we were on every single year. So like we've done this our whole life, it just being leaders on teams and how can we make the best unit? How can I get more from the other guys? How can I get more from myself? And so that's essentially what you guys are doing. Yeah. And, and just kind of going along with that, you know, Vex, you've said a, a couple different occasions, like the people have to bring the best version of themselves for the team to, you know, be the best version of, of itself. And I think that's something that's very similar in any team, especially what you guys are doing in, in the fire world and, and, and where we are in sports. You know, when you're building a team, you can't have 20 of the same person. You can't have 20 of the same players with the same skill sets. You need a diverse uh, amount of people that bring different things to the table and you got to allow those people to do their thing to the best of their ability and so uh, i'm sure you guys have been on teams we've certainly been on teams where you know you, you have people that aren't really pulling on the same rope and and it's it's hard like that's it's miserable <laughs> to, to to be a a different part of those teams and that's where i think great leaders they they find a way to allow people to be themselves they find a way to first of all you know rec for me it was like recruiting in college recruit a group that had different skill sets right like you need your i mean we always heard the analogy when we were growing up like a team is like building a house you need your plumber you need your electrician you need your you know there's your architect you need all these different things for the house to survive and, and for it to be built it's the same as a hockey team it's the same and fires the same with every team everybody's got different skill sets everybody's got different strengths and weaknesses and the best leaders are the ones who are able to get everybody to use those skill sets to achieve something for a common goal and 
like that's where that's where greatness happens in in the sports world that's where teams win you know that's where uh, missions are accomplished in the military that's where missions are accomplished with what you guys are doing and so just finding a way to, to bring everybody's best self to the common core of the group and your group goals that's that's i think is a real gift of a leader I love like bringing out that viewpoint. I've I've used a similar analogy. I've told people um, on crews that I've been on. I'm like, the 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 community doesn't want an engine company of four Josh Winters showing up. You know, it's like I can solve a very you know fine amount of problems, but with the four of us together, or you know the twelve of us, however many of us show up, when we can kind of put those experiences that we all have, and we can put them all into the same pot, we can go out and solve so many more problems and become you know much better of a high performing team when we recognize the talent that we have with us. So I really like the way that you you know the way that you explain that. And I think it's a little different too to kind of how we grew up, you know, like conformity was this thing that we were all taught. Everybody's got to do the same thing. Everybody's got to dress the same way. Every, like everything has to be tip top, tip top. And that's just not really, I, I feel like a lot of leaders, at least in our line of work and what you're seeing in the business world and stuff, they allow a lot more flexibility for people to like show their personalities and kind of be themselves, which I think is a great thing because then people are a lot more comfortable. I mean, there's been so many studies done that the one big one was the one that Google did, you know, what makes a successful yes. team and social safety and having the ability to feel comfortable and like being yourself and saying what you want to say was like one of the biggest predictors of, of team success. And so as leaders, what kind of environment are we creating where people can feel like they can bring their authentic selves and their strengths to what you're doing? And that's how camaraderie is built when people are comfortable with each other, right? And that's the best teams have unbelievable camaraderie. I do team building with a lot of different teams. And especially when I go to the colleges and the higher levels of hockey, you know, one of the questions I ask the guys is I say, Okay, raise your hand if you've ever won a championship. And a lot of the guys typically raise their hands, or the girls if it's a women's team. And and I say, okay, a lot of you have raised your hands. Now I want you to put your hands down um, if that was the closest team you've ever been on. That team that won the championship was the closest team you've ever been on. And very few people put their hands down. Like there's such, I don't know if it's causation, correlation, it's probably a little bit of both, but like, I've never been on a championship team and I've never heard of any championship team where the people didn't genuinely love each other and want to do what's best for each other on a team. And I think the best way to create that kind of environment is to let people be themselves and, and leaders. I think it's different now where I think we're more open to, to doing that. And, and I think people that are doing that are, are seeing a lot of benefits with that. Absolutely. I want to shift a little bit here. Um, to Jeff, because I know you kind of have a, a passion for this, but tell me why understanding and um, presenting your why is important in a, in a, in a group. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, oh, I, you guys ready for like a half an hour? Here? Well, <laughs> well, yes. well Josh, Josh is Josh loves this too, and that's why I bring it up because it's really important to him too. And I thought it'd be a good conversation between the two of you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, intention, intention is everything, and defining your why immediately brings intention into your day, into your your training, into your workouts, into your into your being. As soon as you have a purpose you you have like a compass for the whole day you know and you're going to make better decisions so like if you wake up every morning and when i was a kid was like i will be a pro hockey player i will be a pro hockey player despite nobody believing 
that around me or anybody anywhere you know like I when I was six, 16 about I'd say it's probably when I started living with Tope honestly because um, really funny like if you guys can't really see but Tope's 5'4 I don't even know 150 pounds I'm 6'2 215 a twisted steel and sex appeal but when we were younger <laughs> Tope was lifting before me he was he was hairy went through puberty before me so I go to live with him and uh, his parents had a really sick weight room in their house so he goes to barbell bench press and I've never done it before but he's been lifting for a while and he's through puberty already uh, unfortunately too bad um, and uh, but you know he's barbell benching and he just had 25s on each side so 90 pounds you know for anybody who's like you know any muscle at all that's really not a lot of weight but and Toph ripped it out and I'm like oh man little man did it I could freaking do this in my head like come on Jeff show him you work hard and I picked it up and I right on my chest I'm like Toph Toph and he had to help get it off me. Um, but anyways, I don't even know where I was going with that story. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, when you live with intention and you state your why, you immediately have a compass and a purpose for the day and like something you're going towards. And it, when you have a direction, you're going to go in a straight line. And, you know, that old saying, uh, quickest distance between two points is a straight line. Instead of kind of going through the day, just kind of like, Go going with it like when you have a why you're gonna make a plan and now you're gonna follow the steps on the plan because you're you're living with intention so for me if you want to get better at anything or if you have a goal or if you have a dream stating that why over and over and over and over and over with statements like I will I have my guys do it before every workout they lay on their backs and I'll have 25 guys in the room or 20 guys or many I have in there and I say like state your intentions inside like right now why are you here what are your goals for this year you know for hockey I'll be like you know if you scored five goals last year and your goal is to score 10 this year say I will score 10 goals this year over and over and over I will be this I will do that whatever it is and, and you know this goes for everyone in life if you're you know I don't know how how fire companies work but if you want or if you're like the newest guy in the company but your goal is to be you know the the head of the firehouse one day like if you start living and in a way that is getting you closer to doing that which probably means like doing extra work cleaning up extra you know I don't know whatever that would entail doing everything you could to be the best you know firefighter you could be then you're on the way to that path so stating state questioning your why and then stating it and living with purpose will change your life yeah i love how you said that um it's funny sports kind of led me down that path as well a lot of other things too kind of developing kind of what my purpose is and what my why is um, but when i look back at my life my career the times outside the job when i've been most successful are the times where i've um, you know, signed up for an event, a race, something like that. And I had a date and I had a goal. And then the more specific I can make that, the better the outcome would always be. You know, the goal wouldn't just be, okay, like I want to go do this race and I want to finish it in this time. It's like, okay, no, I have all these very specific benchmarks that I need to hit along the way. And when I started applying that to my work life, I started seeing the same outcomes as I did in my sports life. Um, you know, and I look back at my career and in times of my career when I wasn't as passionate and I wasn't as motivated, it was because I didn't really have that purpose. And, you know, so one of the things that I've done is I've created my own why statement, you know, that kind of goes along with my life or with work. And that's something that that has kind of helped me, 
you know, maintain that motivation and not just come into work and go, great, what, you know, why am I here today? So I, I'm curious, you know, because you have the, the passion in it, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you have a kind of like your own purpose that you talk about to, you know, especially like the teams that you're working with and the people that you're around? Yeah, I mean, for me, my, my why is to help as many people be their best self as as I can, um, because I I really truly feel like I really maximized my potential as a hockey player. Like, I really do. Like, I, I in my eyes, for where I started, you know, playing AAA in seventh grade to being able to play ten years, and and you know, it's not like I made tons of money like a guy who plays in the NHL for like ten years, five years. But it's cool how much money I made. Like, I worked really hard to be able to do that and to have that as my only job. And like, it wasn't easy for me, you know, but it was something I always wanted to do. And so I, I really feel like with my, you know, like, and I say, I say this all the time, but I mean, like when I say lack of skill, I mean at the highest level, like my skill level at the NHL level, at the AHL level compared to like everyone else in the, in the leagues, like where I started and where I got to, like, I, I still wasn't where a lot of my teammates were and I just had to like do everything I could to stay and I'm very proud of that and I saw how that had changed my life so now I'm just like man like I can help others do that and for whatever reason I've been able to do that with a lot of hockey players um, and just a lot of talking to people on Instagram like helping them through whatever they're going through and some private coaching that I do for people Um, I'm just able to help people kind of really like not be afraid to state their why i think some people are afraid to say like i want to be the fire chief or you know i want to be the guy who trains nhl players or i want to be a college hockey player people are afraid because if they set their sights high and they fail they're going to feel like a failure what they don't realize is when you state those intentions and you state your why and you start living with purpose you're going to get better at whatever it is you're doing and along the way whether you achieve that goal or not along the way you will become such a better person you'll become you know such a smarter person you'll have so many more experiences by putting yourself out there constantly in the way that you need to do if you're going to live with purpose and try to achieve you know big goals um so like whether you fall short whether you achieve it whether you overachieve just living that way teaches you so much about how to grind and mental toughness and you know you just said um um motivation if i'm not motivated and i think when you live with purpose motivation is great but motivation is also fleeting dedication is there even on days when you don't have that spark when you didn't sleep enough last night or whatever's going on you you know you book too many appointments whatever it is like that's where motivation might not be there so the more you flex this muscle of living your best life and and really going after your goals and learning how that grind um, feels you're able to live a dedicated life which again is going to make you better at everything and you'll learn to be successful at a whole bunch of other things just through the way you're living yeah. You know, I want to kind of add one more thing to it because I know that you guys have talked about it, but, you know, through all this purpose and, you know, passion, there is a 
there's sacrifice that comes along with that too. And I think that when you add sacrifice to that purpose and you kind of end up with that fulfillment of kind of going through those things. And I know that you guys have talked about it with your hockey teams. Like when you push your hockey team to do something that they weren't comfortable with, it really brings the, it brings the team together. It builds the trust. And then at the end of the day, you know, I think the, the people on the, on, on the, out on the ice, probably feel a better sense of fulfillment just from the sacrifice they put in there. So how do you, how does sacrifice play into what you guys, uh, kind of what you guys coach and what you guys preach? I think there's a lot that has to do with it. And I think you can look at it from two different ways. You can look at it from an individual standpoint and you can also look at it from a team standpoint. You know, Jeff and I, when we were growing up, you know, me with my size and, and Jeff with his uh, lack of hitting puberty until he was like 24 years old. Um, you know, Still we waiting on it. <laughs> we weren't blessed. You know, we weren't blessed with the real athletic gifts that would allow us to kind of coast through and be really good at hockey. Like we had to sacrifice certain things so we can be the best that we can be. You know, Vex and I in high school were not like drinkers. You know, we were really serious about our craft. You know, we had to lose some friends that were going down a path that we didn't want to go down. And so I think in order to accomplish something great, you kind of have to sacrifice some of the distractions that might be there for for you to get to where you want to get to, you know, from an individual standpoint. And then I think from a team standpoint, you have to have some of a sacrifice of a me for the betterment of the we. You you just you just have to. And and I think the best like you you look at like all of these sports stories that are really, really cool. Like you look at Michael Jordan, the one man show until Phil Jackson got there. Then Phil Jackson got him to buy into sacrificing a little bit of his offense, you know, to to involve his teammates more and play a little bit better defense in a team game. And then look what happened. They win six championships in eight years and the six years <laughs> that Michael Jordan was there. And you can go through like all different sports teams and um, you know, when you have a little bit of this, a little bit of the sacrifice for your own kind of like individual glory for the betterment of the team, and you have a team and a lot of people on that team that's bought into that, you know, I've been a part of teams like that. And, and it is so cool. It is so special to be a part of a group of people that only care. I shouldn't say only care about, but their main objective is for the, for the team to accomplish the mission for the team to win that game, to put out that fire, to get that sale, uh, to win the battle, whatever it may be. And, and that's where I, I do a lot of reading in the military. Uh, I, I think when it comes to team building and leadership, nobody does it better. Like those, those people literally get, get the soldiers to take bullets for each other. We like to say that as a metaphor, you know, yeah, like well, we take bullets for each other in this group, but they literally get people to take bullets for each other. And, and, uh, and, and I think, one of the biggest things to to be able to accomplish that is one having a common goal you have to have a common goal that everybody knows what the goals are and then you have to have standards and expectations that the leaders have to hold people to accountable accountable to every single day the hardest part about being a leader is that accountability factor and making sure that everybody is reaching those standards every single day and I think we've all been there and then coaching kids, you, you really see it. Like when you give people an inch, they're going to take a mile. And if you don't live those standards yourself and you don't have the expectation that everybody's going to live those standards every day, you're not going to achieve greatness. You're not going to have people sacrificing for the betterment of the we. And so I feel like 
yeah, sacrificing when it comes to a group, there's nothing more special than that. But you have to, as a leader, set clear goals for what that means. And then you have to be dogged in your accountability to make sure that people are living up to that every single day. And, and honestly, like, and this is for me coming as a college recruiter, um, don't bring people on your team who are selfish. Like don't the, the, the number one thing, if you want a group like that is you have to have the right people on the bus and there's nothing worse on a team than having somebody that's only worried about their own glory or th- what they're doing. And so the easiest way to get people to buy in to, to sacrificing for the betterment of the group is to get people on the bus that want to do that. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I've been a part of teams and I would be interested to hear what you guys have to say where, you know, you try so hard as a leader sometimes to get people who are selfish to not be selfish. And a lot of times it's a freaking lost cause. It, it really is a lost cause. And, and there's times where it's happened and you've been able to make change in people and that's amazing. But at the end of the day, it's almost like to the detriment of everybody else because you're focusing so much damn time and energy into these people to try and get them to do it. Um, and it just, it, it takes away from like what you can do with everybody else. So um, long-winded answer to kind of the question, but I, I don't know about what you guys think. I just think being a part of a group where everybody's in to sacrifice for the betterment of everybody else, man, like that is just poetic. It's so cool. Well, and you, man, you bring up, uh, to me, that's the biggest challenge in leadership is the accountability part. Um, it's easy to hold myself accountable, but, you know, we're in a very social group in the fire service. Um, and as leaders, it's really hard for us to not be friends. Um, so in a leadership position, it's hard to hold people accountable because you don't want to be that guy. You want to be the guy that's liked and you want to be the guy that's... Um, you know, is friends with everybody. And so it's hard to be that leader. It's hard to hold people accountable. Um, and we have some very good people in this department that, that do that on a daily basis and are willing to step up, but they do it in a way that's very respectful and they earn the respect of the people that are around them. But then we have folks that really struggle with that. So I, I'm interested in, you know, maybe your thoughts on, you know, how you hold people accountable while maintaining that respect and, and not quote unquote being that jerk. <clears throat> I, I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it, uh, it goes back to the authenticity and, and being yourself. I, I think that's how you gain respect from the group and being consistent with it. Um, and, and like, I, I, this is something I've learned through a lot of the good people that I talk to. I think you have to communicate the type of leader that you are to the people that you're leading and say, Hey, this is what accountability looks like for me. You know, this is, this is how I feel comfortable in holding people accountable. And I think when there's that expectation, like you might say, guys, I get really pissed off and I get emotional when I see people being selfish. And then when somebody's being selfish and you get pissed off and emotional, and, and typically that's when people will kind of, you know, retreat back and, you know, think you're, you know, an asshole or whatever, but the expectation's been there and they know that that's how you react in those kinds of situations. And so kind of like being upfront with who you are, this is how I operate. And then really as a leader, I, I think the other thing is you have to get to know the people that you're leading and how they want to be held accountable in their authentic ways too. I know as a coach that there were certain players 
that I could do anything to. I could verbally abuse them <laughs> and they would be like, yeah, <laughs> bring it. You know, I want more of it. Like that's the, you get the most out of them that way. And then you have other players who, if you did that to them, they'd be, they'd be done for two weeks. They'd be in a mental shell and you know, you had to, you had to catch those people doing something right. And you had to put an arm around them and, and say, Hey, this is, you know, this is what I'm seeing. Like, let's put a plan together to make sure we're not doing these kinds of things. Right. So I think that for me, the answer to that question, a lot goes to being really upfront with your authentic strengths as a leader, telling them, this is how I feel comfortable in holding people accountable. And then also doing your work in investing into getting to know the people that you're leading into how they like to be held accountable to and then kind of finding that balance between the two. Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny you say that because the communication part is is another hard part. But, you know, I, I have four rules that I tell all my folks, you know, know your job. It's very important to know what you're supposed to be doing. Then do your job. It's one thing to know it, but if you're not going to do it, then it, it doesn't really matter. So do your job be safe and my fourth one and the one the rule rule that everybody remembers is you know don't be a dick <laughs> be, be nice to each other like I want you to be nice to each other and everybody understands that you know that's important to me and so that's being my authentic self so when they're on calls and something goes wrong and they get crossed with someone in the public I always get the phone call right hey I, I broke rule number four you know, so they're coming to me saying, hey, I broke rule number four and this is what happened. And then we have a discussion about about that. But that's years later after people haven't worked for me for a long, long time. They still come to me and they always know rule number four. They haven't they ever, they'll remember the first three, but rule number four, they always remember to be nice. So, have uh, you guys ever read the book Legacy by James Kerr? It's about the All Blacks rugby team. No, no. But I did watch um, that show, that documentary that followed them around. Oh, you know, okay, cool. So yeah, maybe, that was awesome. Yeah. So maybe you got. I, I. Oh man, I've never even heard of that. I'm gonna have to find that and watch that. But Legacy. So that was a book that, uh, for me, it's probably the best leadership book I've ever read, and and I recommend it to anybody and everybody that I can. And one of the things that the All Blacks did, because the, the the basis of the book is they were always kind of the best rugby team in the world, and then they took a huge dip and they weren't very good, and their culture was wrong. It, it was in a bad spot and so one of their let's call it rules was no <laughs> yeah. so they weren't gonna they weren't gonna kind of going along with what you say and don't be one like they weren't gonna bring anybody on their team it didn't matter how talented that person was they could have been the best rugby player in the world their hard rule was no dickheads in the locker room <laughs> so just thought i'd share that and that's how important you know creating that culture is from the leadership standpoint when you said you know some guys have trouble holding other guys accountable and things like that I think that as soon as that starts day one when you get in a leadership position is kind of letting everyone know like Tove said like this is how I lead like this is how I want things done to be our best self you know that type of thing um, and then it goes back to first looking in the mirror um, and then like Tove said, and I'll dive in, like break it down even a little more. Basically, you you have to find out what makes each guy tick. Like, you know, we are talking about old school leadership versus the people who get the most out of, you know, people who are living now. And it seems to be, um, you know, the ones who take a more individualized approach to how they quote unquote lead, coach, whatever you want to call it. Um, every individual on the team first and then collectively uh, you know above that uh i think that 
other than the military, you know, teams don't really respond as well to just a general approach, at least in my my perspective, you know, talking to everybody who's played on all different teams, you know, the 200 episodes of our podcast plus we've had guys on, you know, it's the coaches who get to know each player and kind of knows what makes them tick. Those coaches get the most out of their players. And if you care at that level, you're obviously also going to be helping them and feedback and it's a two way street. So just by doing that, you're going to get it more out of everyone and then you get, earn their respect. And then, you know, you don't need to be it because then when you say, Hey, you know, you didn't do this. They respect you for everything you've put in and they'll go do it then. Yeah. You know, we talk so much about the power of diversity, like, you know, here within the city, within the organization. And, you know, this is exactly what you're talking about. You know, we can't expect to have a diverse workforce and then treat everybody the same. It's like, right. if we're going to have a diverse workforce, we better get to know individually, you know, what makes each person tick and what makes them special and how to, um, you know, influence them and motivate them. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things I wanted to back up just for a second, and you mentioned a little bit about the, you know, you got your high performers and then you've got, uh, you know, some employees that may need a little bit of a nudge or may need a little bit of, of a push. And those are the ones that take up so much of our time, you know, but it's so much easier to take somebody from good to great than bring the troubled employee to make them a medioc mediocre employee or a decent employee. So, you know, some of that, that trouble is finding that balance. It's like, I need to, I need to put my time and my effort into my really good employees. Cause I want to make them great. I want to make them excellent. Um, you know, and then the hard part is like, what do you do with that, that employee? We don't really have the luxury of, of really kicking somebody off the team. Um, you know, we, we live in, we work in a world where um, people can bid in and out of stations kind of as they please. And, you know, once we bring them on the fire department, we've got them for, you know, 30 years. Um, so it's not like we, you know, draft and, and everything. But we do see a lot of our high performing fire stations out there. They really attract high performers. So it's, it's uh, you know, kind of goes to what you guys are speaking about. Well, that just goes into like culture. Like if you're making a culture go north, go in the right direction every year, you're going to have more and more high performers want to join your team, you know? So by cleaning up your own backyard and, and taking care of, you know, each guy within, which then raises the level of everything. Now you're going to start attracting, you know, better, more qualified, uh, applicants and, and, and things like that. So again, I think it all like kind of takes care of itself, kind of goes all into like the earlier you can implement things, the longer and quicker lasting the impact is like it kind of is like an inverted funnel. If you start in the beginning, the sooner you start doing things the right way and only the right way, you know, it's like the repercussions go like this. And the later you start that, you know, the slower that, that outpouring of that funnel is. So it's very, very important to, to do things right away, nip them in the bud right away. So you never have to deal with them again. Yeah. Just like your expectations, right? It's like this job gets so much easier when you set clear expectations. And then on the flip side of that, understand that expectations go both ways. Um, you know, it's like, I've got an expectation as a boss, as a leader, but I should have an expectation or the people that are working around me should have an expectation for me. And, you know, that goes to that communication piece. And what you're talking about is making sure that we're building the right relationships as, you know, as leaders within the team, within the organization, within the fire department. 
Yeah, it's funny you talk about the both ways. I remember I was out recruiting once, and and I was having lunch with uh, a really respected, um, hard coach at the Division One level in in hockey, and he was telling me a story, kind of like what we're talking about about higher and lower achievers. And the story that he was telling was there was this kid who was really talented on the team, but he just he didn't work hard, he didn't buy in. You know, he's one of those guys that just you want so much more from and you put all this time and energy into trying to get him to change and things and and so he tells this kid he goes he brings him in he goes i'm sitting at dinner with my wife and my kids yesterday and i'm I'm trying to enjoy my dinner with my family and and uh you know what i was thinking about when i was having dinner with my family uh i don't know coach well i was thinking about you (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking about you and how you could be such a good player on this team but for whatever damn reason you don't want to work hard you don't want to be a good teammate you don't want to buy in and my mental health is suffering and I'm not a good dad and I'm not a good husband because I care about you and this team so damn much that it's affecting my personal freaking life you know and and uh, and the kids just, and he's like the kids just sitting there like wide eyed like he's never had a coach be like that open and vulnerable with him before and like tell him how he was feeling right and and the kid, like to his credit, was like, "Wow, like I didn't realize I was having this effect, <laughs> being doing this stuff, you know." <laughs> and uh, it was just like a really cool lesson, though. And I've kind of tried to do that with some of the players that I've coached a little bit, like being a lot more open with how I'm feeling, you know. And and it it goes a long way to building that relationship and building that connection with the kids. Like if you can be vulnerable as a leader and 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 open up and kind of let other people into how you're feeling and what you're thinking, I, I do think that goes a long way. And um yeah, it was just an interesting story. Like I, I, I it's and it's really helped. And and I I'll never forget sitting in that Starbucks in like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, <laughs> having <laughs> having this conversation. But it, it just rings so true to what we're talking about. I mean, it is such a two way street. And the more you can operate on a two way street, I think the more you can affect some change because it, the more you're building that relationship with the people that you're leading and when the relationship is built, there's some trust there that you're doing things for the right reasons and you're doing things in their best interest and stuff. And, uh, you know, if there's any way to, to kind of get those, those lower achievers to try and figure it out, uh, I think that's the best way is just being absolutely brutally honest, you know, putting yourself out there and then say, Hey, like, it's up to you if you want to change or not, but this is, this is the deal, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, talk about relationships. And I want to talk a little bit about team building. Um, and obviously I never played high level hockey. Is there a difference between say a division one team where you're kind of a captive audience and an NHL team when everybody has their own separate lives? Some people have wives and kids, um, that they need to take care of. So there's other things going on in life where college is pretty focused on hockey and studies and pretty narrowly focused, um, is there a difference on how you do team building for those two different levels of, of, of teams? Oh yeah, absolutely. Obviously college is pretty easy. You're, you're there for school, hockey, probably girls. If you're on the guy's team, you know, you, you, you live a pretty simple life. So, um, when, when it's time that you play practice at the same time every day, you go to class same time every day, play games on the weekend. So it's pretty easy to, to call a team meeting or a team outing. Like it's not hard. You, you all live very close because you got to be on campus. Um, pro hockey, definitely a different animal. 
um, wives, kids, girlfriends, you know, young guys who are competing for salaries. Right, right. There's a little bit of a competition aspect within within some teams who don't have, you know, the best cultures. Um, so it's it's definitely can be a little tougher. It takes it takes a lot more work as captains and anybody who's a leader, you know, to plan ahead quite a bit to do like team outings and team stuff like that. And sometimes guys, guys will have to miss if something is going on in their lives so important that they've got to be with their family. Um, so, you know, you do have those things come up. So it definitely is different, but again, I think that it's even more appreciated um, in the pro hockey sphere probably, you know, it's more like the real world sphere with like you, you guys are dealing with because those times are really special you know, you maybe take it for granted a little bit when you're in college and playing college hockey and it's easy for everybody to get together and everybody goes to the same bar, or the same house party every Saturday after the home game. Um, when guys have wives and lives and families and all this stuff, when you get together, it, there's a different feeling in pro hockey. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty special because you know that guys had to plan ahead and had to get a sitter or whatever they had to do. So I do think that it's different, but it's still achievable. And I almost think it becomes even more special because it's not going to happen as often. Yeah, I know. It sounds like, you know, the other thing you're talking about is commitment too. you know, for somebody to be able to put their outside life aside to go be part of the team. It's like you're, it, it's almost like you're, um, you know, you're, you're given a little bit. It's like, okay, I'm going to give up my outside life because this team is valuable to me, you know, and I want to be a part of this. Absolutely. And, and that immediately bonds everybody. And when everybody bonds, everybody wants to pull the rope even harder to help the guy in front, the guy in back, wherever, you know? So like, it's, it seems like, oh, you know, you don't have to do that. But it's like, man, if you want to run more efficiently and more effectively at whatever it is you're doing together in one unit as a team, as a firehouse, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, if everybody's pulling the rope together, you're going to go a lot further, a lot faster. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because if you look back at the fire service, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, a lot of the stories were, hey, we're all going over to so-and-so's house to put a new roof on, or we're all going to do this. And over the years, that's um, it's changed. You know, people are busier. We're working more. You don't see that as well. But then every once in a while on social media, I saw one of our crews out playing golf together. You know, none of them are, I don't think any of them are golfers, but they went out and did this outing together. And, you know, just, you look at the team building that that probably created with that group was probably more powerful than any hard day of training that they've done in a long time. So there's a lot of value to that. For sure. I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, people will say like in, in college or in pro, sometimes the best team building is putting a keg right in the middle of the room and letting the boys and girls <laughs> go after it. You know, it's those, those situations sometimes when the pressure's kind of off, you know, and, and you get to just kind of be and, and be yourself without having to worry about work or the stresses of, of the job. And I like just kind of going back to what Vex was saying, I know from playing pro hockey and, and Vex too, like some of the greatest times were where like you know the older guys typically aren't you know doing the social stuff as much as the younger guys because they have families or they have kids or you know their bodies just can't recover from having a few cocktails <laughs> as, as as good as as the younger guys and stuff but how cool is it vex in pro hockey when the dad you know or the older guys they get the green light from the wife 
And they're like, I'm with the boys tonight. Let's go. And then the younger guys are like, oh, my God. This is the greatest night ever. It's over. Yeah, and just those those little social situations where it's almost like you're putting – it it goes kind of back to sacrifice, what we were talking about before. You're sacrificing something to tell the people that you're working with that they are important and they want to be a part of – of what they're a part of. And, uh, you know, we've all been there vaccine in pro hockey and pro sports. Like that's like, honestly, it's like the coolest thing ever when, you know, the older guy comes and, and, you know, it's a team event or something like that. And they're there. And then even better when like the older guys, like drinks are on me tonight, boys, let's go, you know, and they throw their credit card down and let's go. And, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said about that. And it's just, it's, it's a really special thing when you have people that, want to they just like genuinely like each other and want to be around each other and when you have cultures like that it's it's a really special thing and that's how i think you you find winners in business teams and in uh, any walk of life in sports teams it just when people genuinely like each other want to be around each other and and that's where again like we talk about in hockey when you love each other you're more apt to block that shot you're more apt to sacrifice your body for the betterment of the group if you don't really like each other then people aren't going to really want to do that and and that's where that that culture building and team building is is so incredibly important especially kind of those times where you know it's a little bit more informal um and it's just boys being boys or or girls being girls and and uh you're just able to connect with the pressure off well and and think about it in like your guys line of work like that bond is so damn important because you know, hopefully you guys never get in like sticky or scary or intense situations. But like, you know, if you really care about somebody who's, you know, in a troubled situation, and I don't know, you got to run with a heavy ass fire hose. Like if it's somebody you really care about, like no matter how much, like, you know, you wish it wasn't true, but if it's somebody you love, you're going to run that extra mile an hour faster that you didn't even know you had in you, you know? And I think so like that bond is so important with what you guys do and the situations that you very well could find yourself in. Um, you know, if the worst type of thing happens and the more bonded you are, the more everyone believes in everyone, everyone's a tight unit. They're working efficiently, cohesively, effectively together. Um, it's just it's going to be a better outcome 10 out of 10 times and you know you guys are in in a job where it just takes one time where it could be dangerous you know so you got to keep it tight you got to keep the ship going the right way and everybody on paddling together and i think that bonding really really is very important to have that facilitated so your guys are clicking on all cylinders you know yeah, you mentioned that, you know, kind of studying military and things like that. And if you look at it, you talk about these guys over the last 20 years that are going to war, you know, the guys that, that when they talk about it, they don't, you know, whether they agree with the war or not, they're like, the reason why I was there was for the guy next to me, you know, the person next to me, you know, it wasn't, you know, maybe in the moment, maybe like signing up is about the cause. You know, but once you get there, it's it's about the relationship that you built with that person next to you. And I'm willing to take the bullet for the person next to me because of what we've been through together. Um, I just wanted the last thing I want to talk about is resilience. Um, you guys talk a lot about that on your podcast, and we've uh, been talking a lot about it on ours as well because of um, some of the issues we've been going through. Um, within the fire service, a lot of it, um, you know, most recently brought to the service. Uh, surface mental health uh, 
things in uh, within the fire service based simply on COVID. And a lot of us, um, not us, of course, because we, we've been in staff positions. We work 40-hour weeks. We're not on the trucks. We're in the training division. But for the folks out on the line, they're getting used a lot, and they're getting very tired, and so they're having to be resilient. Um, talk to us a little bit uh, about resiliency, but not only resiliency in, in the short term, the pain of the game, so to speak, but resiliency in life and the long-term things uh, that we go through. I'll let, I'll let Toph go after me because, you know, he's 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 had to be super resilient. I mean, we both have in our career, but being 5'4 and playing, you know, in the early 2000s and junior and college hockey, it, like it really wasn't a game for anybody that size. So the resiliency that he had to display daily, like he can definitely obviously talk about that. But the, the one thing I'll say is, and I'll circle back to the beginning of the conversation, is that, again, establishing your why daily is extremely important because you're not going to always be in a good mood. Like we said, you're not going to always have that spark. You might be in a slump. Everybody goes in slumps. Think about the best athlete. Think Kobe Bryant has been in slumps, right? You know, Michael Jordan, he'd been in slumps. Whoever in every sport, in every walk of life, uh, Warren Buffett, I'm sure he's done some bad business deals, right? Everybody's had a slump. So nobody's ever going to be perfect. So you, you have to know that. And when, good times or bad constantly defining your why will get you through those down times and help you flex your resiliency muscles which are getting back to living a dedicated way with purpose for whatever your goals are you probably got off track so you know refocusing your dedication um which will then bring you to doing the little things detail wise that will make you your best self and you get better from there um so i think that you know again it comes back to that first step which is defining your why yeah yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, you talk about the mental health problems, I, I think we have a lot of mental health issues because we don't know how to deal with resiliency. Like, resiliency is not talked about enough. And and I when I do my team building and I travel around the country talking to businesses and talking to teams and stuff, resiliency is literally the first thing I talk about because I think it is so important, not just for success and however you want to define success in your metrics but also for our own mental health and well-being and look like life is hard you know for us in our line of work be trying to be a professional hockey player or a college hockey player is really really difficult and it comes with a lot of ups and a hell of a lot of downs right and so when i talk about resiliency i i think you know bad shit happens every day literally like every day we're presented with challenges every single day and and i i don't i've never been in in like i've never been a fireman i've never been in your your line of work but i have to imagine that there's challenges that arise every day whether it's with it's literally a fire call or just things that are going on within the the group at the firehouse or anything like that but you know every day we're presented with challenges and i really believe that successful people you know there's there's when when challenges happen there's two ways that you can go one way which is the easier way which is the way that most non-successful people do is they point fingers they blame other people they they have a poor me attitude and it's like you know it's just it's outside of my control that happens and what, what am i going to do right successful people they see tough times as an opportunity to get better they see tough times as a challenge and an opportunity to grow 
and, and an opportunity to challenge themselves to learn something and, and just be better at what they do. And, you know, from a sports perspective, like you look at the top hitters in baseball, they hit 300. They fail seven out of 10 times. The top hockey players, their shooting percentage is between 15 and 20 percent. You know, they're failing eight out of nine, eight out of nine times. And, and the stat that I always talk about, it's my favorite statistic every year in the NHL playoffs when the Stanley Cup playoffs happens. The AHL, which for people who aren't familiar with hockey, it's the league underneath the NHL. It's like the farm system. Um, they come out with a statistic of how many players in the NHL spent time in the AHL. And, and the way that people think about professional sports is that like the people who rise to the top, they're just really, really good, right? Like they're talented and we watch YouTube and SportsCenter and we just see this spectacular talent and that's why these people are there. When in reality, nine out of every 10 players that are playing in the NHL spent time in the AHL. Nine out of every 10 players that are playing in the NHL got cut. They were told you're not good enough and go back and get better. Go ride the bus. Go have sloppy Subway sandwiches after games rather than, you know, like... I never for- ate Subway in the AHL, you drama queen. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, played in, I played in the lower leagues than you did, and we <laughs> ate Subway sandwiches, okay? Um, you know, but, like, successful people, you know, I, another story that I tell is, like, I read Theo Epstein's book, and Theo Epstein, for people that don't know, he was the general manager of the Red Sox, that turned their you know franchise around from not winning in a hundred years to or whatever it was to winning a World Series, and then he did the same thing with the Cubs. And I'm a diehard White Sox fan, so it kills me that he did that, but it is what it is, right? Uh, but I read his book, and it was amazing because he's talking about when he took over the Cubs. The first thing that he did was he took the scouting manuals and he ripped them up and he threw them in the garbage, and he gave all of his scouts new uh, scouting manuals of things that they thought were important of the people that they were going to bring into their organization and the top thing at the top of every single, the most important thing at the top of every single one of their scouting reports, what are three ways that this person has had to deal with adversity on the field? And what are three ways that this person has had to deal with adversity off the field? That was the most important thing to Theo Epstein when it came to the people that he was trying to bring into the organization. And when you think about it, honestly, like a lot of these really talented kids that are coming up through high school and, and through college and, and through, you know, the, the Latin American, through Latin America, like a lot of these kids have not hit adversity yet. They were the best at what they do and they haven't had to been knocked down a peg or two. And they wanted people that had the you know the muscle memory of having of failure and and how did we get through it and if they were able to get through it and they gritted their teeth and worked hard those were the kinds of people that they wanted as a part of their organization right baseball like when you sign your contract with the cubs you ain't going to chicago you're going to dubuque iowa and living on a mattress with four other guys in a room you know making making peanuts to play the game and you got to play summer like it's it's not a glorious lifestyle by any means you know, so they wanted people within their organization that that had that that resiliency muscle. Um, so they, when they did get sent down, it was like, nah, okay, I'm not going to blame my agent. I'm not going to blame my college coach. I'm not going to blame X, Y, or Z. Like, I just need to be better. I need to be better at what I do. And and I think it's a skill that we are severely severely lacking. And I, I see this in the hockey world all the time with the kids that are coming up. Like when the bad shit happens, like they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. And it's our job as adults. Like everybody likes shit on Gen Z that they're soft. We're not doing a good enough job preparing these kids for what life really is. And what life really is, is it's freaking hard. 
and you you have to go through the ups and downs. Sidney Crosby, the greatest player of our generation, like Jeff, had to sit in a freaking room for a, a year and a half and not play because he had to go through concussion issues. And then what did he do when he came back? He won two Stanley Cups, an MVP, uh, an Olympic gold medal. Every, like, he was the man. You know, like, you look at Tom Brady. You know, Michael Jordan gets cut from his... his uh, you know, his, his high school basketball team, Tom Brady, seventh round, eighth round draft pick, you know, wasn't even the starting quarterback. Like he, he, the only reason he is is because Drew Bledsoe got hurt. Life is hard. And once we can come to a realization and accept that fact and then work to make the choices every day that when this tough shit happens, I'm going to see this as an opportunity to grow and learn and challenge myself to be better and, and look in the mirror. Like that's, these are things that we need to post on on freaking walls of every school and every home in, in in every locker room of every rink and every firehouse like how we deal with the tough times for me that that's what builds greatness that's what builds success and then when you look at it from a team standpoint tough shit's gonna happen in in every fire call tough it's gonna happen on uh, in every game like refs yeah the refs are gonna suck Yep, somebody's going to make a mistake and you're going to get burned and you're going to get scored against. Like there are so many different things within a game, within a season, within a career that that aren't perfect. And 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 as you guys I'm sure know, like when you guys walk into a house that's burning on fire, there's a lot of things that you got to expect the unexpected. <laughs> and things aren't going to go according to the manual, you know? And so when that those tough times happens, how can you come together as a group? And and sorry, I like I love talking about this, so I'm getting a little bit kind of animated. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I don't feel any passion um, here. No but, passion. Like, <laughs> honestly, th- this is something that we don't talk about enough, and we're really, really, really failing the kids that are coming up today, as mentors, as teachers, as leaders, by not talking about this every single day. What? What you're saying reminds me that, you know, we get so used to being happy and having joy in our life. But I think one of the things we have to remember is we don't get to keep those. Joy and happiness are things that we get for moments of time, but there's a lot that goes into getting those little blips of, of, of greatness. And it, what you're saying just reminds me of that. It's like, I can't expect to go through life being happy every single day. Um, you know, I can't find joy in everything that, everything that I do, but I can have purpose in my life. I can keep that purpose in my life. And through doing that, I can find more fulfillment in my life. A hundred percent. And, and the highs are that much higher when you recognize the the lows that you had to get through to get there. Right. Like I, I tore my ACL my senior year of high school when I should have been recruiting to, to go play college hockey. And honestly, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I had to learn resiliency. I had to learn mental toughness and I had to learn how to love the game, you know, without being able to play it. And I credit a lot of my success in the game for or from tearing my ACL. And then when I did end up committing to a division one school, like it was that much more sweet because I, I because of the shit that I had to go through Vex, like same thing. He got his concussions and now he's killing it with with the the people that he's leading and how much more fulfilling is i think what you said like how much more fulfilling is it for you you know the the late nights that you had to go through when you were just starting your business yeah. you know the the yeah. people that said no at first you know we have our trainers that we like and and it, the the highs i think are are that much more heightened when you have an appreciation for getting through the lows too 100% and you earn you, know, you earn your highs yeah, you know, and from a leadership perspective, 
Um, and then this gets back to the relational piece that we've talked about. You have to be in tune as a leader about when your folks are you're hitting their highs and hitting their lows, and when they're at their lows, support them. Um, and when they're at their highs, boost them even higher, right? Yes. Um, provide them the tools and the support that they need, whether it's from you or from somebody else, to help them you know, build that resiliency and help them understand that they're not in it by themselves. Um, and, and Josh has said in the past, you know, let's, let's make taking care of each other's mental health as important as, as, as taking care of our physical health. Yep. health is, when it's as cool uh, for everybody to take care of their mental health as it is to take care of their physical strength, then we'll be all working together and we'll all be helping each other out to be more resilient as a community rather than just a bunch of individuals fighting to get through life. So, Love yeah. that. All right. Do you have anything else, Josh? No. I mean, I think we've hit about an hour and a half of, of uh, you know, really great talk. Um, I mean, the one thing that I want to say before we, you know, get wrap this up is you guys touched on a lot of things that, that we need to hear in the fire service, that we need to talk about in the fire service. And I appreciate the translation between what you guys are doing in the sports world and what we're doing. So thank you for the time you know thanks for putting your your knowledge your expertise your passion behind you know i think what is almost a common goal between what you guys are doing and what we're doing so thank you for thanks for this chat yeah hey, thanks for having us on i mean Vex, i'll let you go too but like we we really appreciate you reaching out to us and uh again we we have a soft spot for first responders and and we don't get to live the way that we want to live without you guys protecting us in, in, in what you guys do. And so we so appreciate your line of work. Um, if there's anything that we can do to help you guys out in the future with, with anything, we're, we're there for you. So thank you for, for what you guys do as well. Yeah, we appreciate that. You know, and I, and I, and Toph, when we were talking on the phone the other day and I, and I truly believe this and most firefighters do, you know, you all provide us the opportunity to do this. Um, it's through your hard work and your taxpayer money that allows us to have this great job and this life that we lead. Um, so we thank our community and we thank you guys. And I bet every, you know, Chicago Fire, St. Louis firefighter would thank you for allowing them to, to have this job and be such an integral part of the community. So uh, thank you for that. Thanks for coming on. I know we don't have tons of listeners, but you'll touch somebody in this fire department at some point and make a difference in our life. And I know that's important to you guys. So thanks for coming on. Absolutely. And I'll just finish with, uh, if there, you know, anybody listens and they want, uh, to work out with me online, I have like a train with me team. It's called, I've got over 130 people from around the world doing it with me the last couple of years. Um, I give it to firemen and policemen for free. Um, same with like my hip mobility, uh, any way I can help you guys and, and what you guys do. Like, I just love it. I always wanted to be a firefighter, but, uh, you know, a stiff breeze blows my way and I might get another conky. So that's how, that's, <laughs> that's out of the cards for me. So if I can help in any way, train a little smarter, have your body last a little bit longer in your job, uh, let me do that. Just shoot me a DM on Instagram. It's my name at Jeff Levecchio, blue check mark. What's up? All right. Appreciate it guys. <laughs>
right, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Topher and Jeff. Um, got a lot of out of it. What were what were some of the things that you pulled out of that interview? Uh, for me, I think you know going into this podcast. Um, not knowing a lot about Topher and Jeff, I really, I didn't know what to expect. You know, like I said, I don't know a lot about hockey. Um, definitely don't know much about hockey coaching. And so I think in my mind, I had this this image of, you know, these authoritarian style coaches who, you know, were all about, you know, hard knocks and fighting and, you know, um, and, and I think, what I really appreciated is these guys come on and, you know, they immediately start talking about vulnerability and about relationships and about, um, you know, kind of building team through um, kind of a shared vision. And, and it was almost like these rough, tough guys talking about the softer side of leadership. And, and I think in general, when it comes to businesses and when it comes to organizations in different industries, that's the direction that everything's going. And so I really appreciated these guys, you know, being open and, um, you know, billing, being willing to say, Hey, I need to, I need to establish this relationship and it's on and off the ice. You know, it's not just, I come in and I coach them. It's, you know, as the coach, you know, and as the teammate, I need to be willing to go spend time with them on my on my own time I need to sacrifice a little bit of family time to go build this relationship with the team so I think that was like my biggest takeaway from the conversation with them it's like we don't have to be these hardcore leaders you know like it's okay you know it's okay to build relationships and it's okay to get to know your people and that's what we have to do these days yeah and I think you know hockey players in general are hockey is a very blue collar sport Mm -hmm. Um, it's a lot of there's not a lot of I uh, when hockey players speak. It's everything is we and us. Um, so they do a lot of things for the person to the left of them and the person to the right of them. Um, a lot of their actions are based on team. Um, so there's not a lot of individuals. There's not you know hockey's not good at um, promoting their stars because their stars don't want to be promoted. They just want to be a part of the team. Um, and I think that's what appeals most to, you know, Canadians and Minnesota, people from Minnesota and Wisconsin and, you know, um, you know, the true blue-collar areas of this country, the salt-of-the-earth people, right, is that hockey players are salt-of-the-earth people and they're raised by salt-of-the-earth people. Um, so when you take away the competition and you take away um, – you take the pads off – they really are just like us. You know, they really want to treat people well and they know how to be respectful and they, you know, um, they're just they're just people. And from a leadership perspective, that's that's nice to see and that's refreshing to see from, you know, a guy that played division one college sports and a, and a guy that played in the NHL. Because um, we have this vision of, you know, football players and basketball players who are you know, cocky and arrogant and it's all about them and the money and the cars and the girls and the jewelry and things like that. And that's just not hockey players. And it comes off, I think, more genuine. Yeah. I I love how you bring up the the we side of it. Um, My 
my perspective from, you know, the fire service is, you know, especially as company officers, as, as leaders in the organization, the, the, what is the, the right way to say this? The words that we should be using um, when we have successes as a team is we, you know, we did this. Um, but then the flip side of that is when it comes to the failures or the setbacks, then that's the time for the officer to go I. You know, I did that because it's ultimately I'm accountable as the company officer. I'm accountable for this. Um, but, you know, I think that we could do a really good job, you know, as an organization is every time we celebrate success, we we celebrate it as we. And then when we have those setbacks and failures individually, we can go, I, this is my responsibility in it. And that's all the way down to the lowest level, too. You sure. Know? Um, so I've always I've always kind of struggled with that. It's like how do we use the right words to express things the right way? But I really like how you talk about you know the team aspect in hockey in the sense of of, of we. Yeah, I mean you have your star players and you know you've got you know twelve forwards on the bench and and six defensemen. Mm-hmm. Um, so eighteen guys are sitting on the bench and it's it's hard for one player to impact the game enough at the speed that it's going to say that I won this game. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't it just doesn't happen so you have to do we and you want to pull people in and you do that um, you know you do that by you know raising them up during successes and, and like you said uh, being held accountable for the failures and, and looking at it and going well what could I have done better mm-hmm. you know and, and Dan Romero used to say you know every time you point a finger at me there's four pointing back at you you know yeah. Um, so hold yourself accountable. Like that's important. That's important as a leader. That's important as a human. You know, um, for the success, successes and failures and good times and bad times that we have in life. Um, and we talked a little bit about it in, in in the interview, but it's not always someone else's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, take responsibility for yourself. Hold yourself accountable in in your job and in, in life. And you know, ultimately, you'll you'll be surrounded by people that'll support you. Yeah. And, you know, really, this kind of all comes back to, um, you know, your four expectations, the the two middle of know your job and do your job. You know, it's like, well, each one of us has a job to do, you know, Um, you know, as a company officer, it's no longer my job to be on a nozzle or, you know, on an extrication tool. Um, That's not my job anymore. Right. And so I need to know what my job is, and I need to be able to do that job. So yeah, what role do you play in the team? Mm-hmm. You know, from a sports con context, and we'll continue to use hockey. Like you can't have the defenseman trying to play center. Yeah, like it just doesn't work. Then somebody's out of position, and then the whole yeah. the whole structure of the of the team breaks down. You know, and so when you've got the firefighter trying to be the officer and the officer trying to be the battalion chief or the battalion chief trying to be the officer and the firefighter and everything to all people, the the structure of the team falls down. So know your role and know how to be really, really good at that role, Mm -hmm. be good at the craft and be good at being a firefighter. If that's your role right now, uh, strive to be what you want to be, what your goals are, but be really good at what you're what you're where you're at right now and that'll help you achieve that ultimate goal and we talked a little bit about that during the interview that's really great you um you mentioned um kind of after we after we did the interview you mentioned a little bit of accountability you got some um uh, you know the i I think the accountability part of the conversation resonated with you a little bit more yeah i think 
I'm, I, and I've always admitted this, I'm not a huge conflict person. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like conflict. I certainly don't avoid it, um, but I don't feel like I'm really good at it. Um, so the perspective they provided on accountability and, you know, being honest and being open with expectations and then holding um, yourself and others to that expectation, it, it really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to do it in a conflict way, but if you could, if you communicate well and you're consistent um, and you hold people accountable consistently, including yourself, then I think everybody knows what to expect and, and um, you know, can be held accountable. And then that, you know, brings us to the culture, con- uh, culture conversation. And, um, you know, it just, it just kind of felt like something that I could be better at and, and, and maybe recognize um, what I'm trying to accomplish when I'm, you know, have those four expectations. And, you know, when I'm having conversations about uh, when things don't go the way we want them to go. Um, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Well, I'm trying to hold, you know, maybe them and myself accountable to the standards we've set together as a team or the expectations I've relayed, you know, to the, to that team. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to come down on somebody when you haven't told them what the rules are, you know, it's like, and that's what the expectations are, right? It's like, here's the rules. You know, if you don't know the rules, how do you play the game? And, uh, the, the expectation thing, and I believe I've mentioned it on here before, but every time I hear that, it comes, you know, I go back to being a brand new lieutenant and the first type of issue that I ended up, you know, in an HR office having to have a conversation about is the, the first thing that I was asked was, did you set clear expectations? And, um, you know, my, my immediate answer was yes. And then a couple minutes later, I go, all right, hold on. I need to go back. I go, I don't know if I did set clear expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I did a good job learning what that means to that point. And that's what kind of changed my thought on expectations was that, you know, that one particular incident made me go, okay, I need to be better at this. Yeah. You know? And then there's the communication part. You know, we look at all the safety things that we, you know, all the NIOSH stuff, all the reports come out, well, communication sucked, you know. So we're always constantly working on communications. And I know for myself, you know, sometimes I communicate well and sometimes I'm like, man, that could have gone better, you know, or I look back and go, man, I could have, you know, I've done things uh, in my career um, well-intended, but man, it just didn't turn out the way I wanted it because I didn't communicate well. Yeah, you know, so it's something that I'm I'm working on all the time. All right, I want to thank uh, Topher Scott and Jeff Lavecchio uh, from the Hockey Think Tank for coming in and coming on with us. Um, it's not something that we've done before. They were very patient, true professionals, um, very well practiced, uh, and they let us kind of stumble through it. I think um, we're a little bit rusty, but I, you know, I think we did okay. If you want to uh, listen to their podcast, it's called The Hockey Think Tank. You can get it on all the major platforms. Um, you can get a hold of Topher um, through the hockeythinktank.com website. There's buttons there that uh, you can get a hold of him to, to contact him. Uh, Jeff Lavecchio, as he mentioned in the podcast, uh, does personal training. He's very, very well and very highly invested in the betterment of other people, not just athletes. And he does offer um, personal training uh, guides for uh, military 
police, firefighters, and EMTs, uh, you know, frontline personnel. Uh, if you want to get a hold of him, go to at Jeff Lavecchio on Instagram. He's got the blue check mark. Um, so he's legit. Get a hold of him there, and he will uh, help you with any of your training needs. Two great guys. Thank, thank you to both of them for coming on here. Uh, it was a great first dip into outside the fire department. Um, we've had guests from outside the fire department, but never at another remote location. Uh, so Luke, Luke Prusing did a great job pulling it all together, and those two were a great, um, great and gracious um, guests to have uh, for our first time uh, on on a not not in the same location. So thanks to both Topher and, and Jeff. Yeah, Jeff and Topher, thank you very much. And to our six listeners out there, thank you. I hope you got as much out of the conversation with uh, with Jeff and Topher as that I did, and I think that we did. So um, thanks for tuning in and listening to us. All right, everybody, have a great day. Uh, be nice to each other. It's important. I'm in the big leagues. Tony don't miss me. Ballin' like Houston. Hey, feeling like Whitney. I need a bag, bruh. Send it through quickly. I'm making his dog. Like I'm in the big leagues, told him that I gotta go, dawg I'm riding a road, y'all, I think that I'm back in my bag now So I need that go, y'all, got hits when he throwin' the fastball Just too quick for it, peeling off like the whip orange Seen the effort, it's piss poor, I got too much, I gotta tend to Car payments and the rent due, told y'all that I'm six foot But with the money stabbing, I'm ten to Too much that I've been through, so I put it all in that rear view Clean money in a black whip, got old problems with the friends new Yeah, I'm in the big leagues Falling don't miss me. Ballin' like Houston, ayy, feeling like Whitney. Yeah, I need a bag, bruh. Send it through quickly. I'm making his dog, like I'm in a big lease. Yeah, told him I'ma hit it out of stands. I deserve another hundred bands. I deserve another hundred fans. Told him this was always in the plans. I just did it cause they said I can't. Blowing euros when I'm down in France. Labels asking how I build a brand. Told him put a check up in my hands. Who I got time, no cap. Made a few checks, but they all in the raps. Had a few friends, but he suck in the past. I don't even trip when I'm thinking about that. Hopped in the whip and we all in black. Shawty wanna ride to the hop in the back. Zero to 100, seen a rap on the dash. Dad kitchen up, dog, I'm moving too fast. Yeah. I'm in the Bailey's. Told him don't miss me. Ballin' like Houston, ayy, feelin' like Whitney I need a bag, bruh, send it through quickly I'm making his dog, like I'm in a big league